0: For the 23-24 season, the Fulhamish Thursday Club is sponsored by Green King Sports, where football is more than a game. Green King Sport venues are showing every televised Fulham fixture over the course of the season. So instead of turning to the internet for a dodgy stream, get your mates together and get down to your local Green King pub and get closer to the action now Green King Sport have just recently launched the Green King Sport Instagram page which is going to be the home to fan content deals and competitions throughout the season drop them a follow and you won't just be the first to know about all of this you'll be helping out the Fulhamish podcast too
1: ladies and gentlemen it is showtime please welcome the team
2: of the Fulhamish podcast
0: the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show. Today, we're going to be looking ahead to Saturday's trip to Crystal Palace. Could we just replicate what we did there last season? 3-0, two players sent off. Tim Ream on the score sheet. Oh, what it would be like to do that once again. We'll also have the final word from Saturday's win over Luton Town and look through a stack full of your emails as well. And I'm joined by the regular Thursday club today. Jack Collins, hello. Hello, Sammy. Hello, listeners. And on his way back from Paris, Peter Rutzler, hello.
2: Hello, Sammy. Hello. hope you can hear me nice and clear. Hello, everybody. Yeah, uh, we can uh, we'll make hit- do. We can hear the
0: various sounds of uh, of your transport uh, today. So if you hear a ding dong in the background, it's not uh, it's not like Jack's doorbell or something. It's probably that Peter needs to train.
2: Nobody visits Jack. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a fair point. Might might be someone looking for a bill or something. you know? A neighbor dropping off a parcel.
2: <laughs> <Exactly>.
0: <laughs> Another invoice due. Uh something like that. Anyway, let's um get into Saturday's win over Luton. And Peter, it was one of those. Got the job done. A weird amount of possession and not very much done with it, but I kind of don't really care we we got it over the line it wasn't pretty, but three points was what mattered what did you make of it
2: yeah that's the important thing was just getting the three points wasn't it um especially considering how the game panned out um just considering the nature of the fixture as well um, with luton they're a a team that have done exceptionally well to get into the Premier League um, and for them and you know i don't i don't want to to sort of write them off at this point, you know, speaking to a couple of the players afterwards, you know, there's there's ambition in the group there and I'm sure that they will bloody a few noses at some point. But in terms of the quality that they have, I think for most teams, particularly at home, it's it's a three point banker. And if you're not taking those points, it's you're putting yourself at quite a disadvantage. Um, and, and they're quite unique in how they set up, you know, with all that in mind. I think Marco Silva was talking about that after the game that it was unique in that they set up with a block of nine is how he saw it. Um, I know they've started the season with a more of a 5 2
0: Felt like an 8 at times.
2: Yeah, no, it did. It did. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the weekend, they obviously switched to one up top um, and that seemed kind of effective, particularly on the counter-attack and we saw that in the first half where they were getting in the spaces behind Tete and Castagna who were both trying to get very high as, as Fulham tried to unpick that, that block. Um, so it's, it's sort of a unique game in that sense and whenever you're up against a team that's going to sit in that isn't really interested in conceding spaces easily. Um, you, you're at risk of, of struggling. I, I, I think the only thing is that it's... It can, it, the issues so far this season with Fulham th- in the early parts of the season have just been around. Chances created. Are they creating enough? Um, are they scoring enough? Um, and I think when you put those two, those two things together, there's always the risk that, particularly if you draw a Luton, and particularly after the transfer window's just closed and you haven't got a marquee striker into to replace Mitrovic, that suddenly it's it's really quite a major talking point. So getting the win, getting past it, moving forward is, yeah, is a it was a pretty important result, to be honest.
0: Yeah. I mean, Jack, I actually was like not that unimpressed with Luton. And I, I mean, my hot take at the beginning of the season was them to not go down. Um, that's looking a little silly, but I just thought that they weren't anywhere near as bad as people are saying they are. We gave them a bit of credit in the build-up, in fairness, but, you know, I thought that they actually, short of just putting the ball between the sticks, executed their game plan almost to perfection and were just a bit unlucky to hit the post and just not take a couple of their chances because actually they almost played the perfect game against us.
1: Yeah, 100%. Rob Edwards was a really good manager and their players are clearly bought into his philosophy and trying to execute on what he tells them. And look, we, we spoke about it a little bit with Dean, but it's one of those where Brighton obviously went ahead early against them, but they didn't kill the game off really until sort of the 85th minute after Luton had pulled one back from 2-0. Chelsea took until the 70th minute or so for them to to really get in behind this Luton side. They'd been 1-0 up and a little bit ropey up to that point. West Ham found it similar. It, it took a while to get that second goal, the zoom header that ultimately was very important in that game at Kenilworth Road. And now, now we've gone and, and, and won with a 65th minute goal that it's another game, I think from a Fulham perspective, where... It's really good to get three points. I was delighted for Carlos Vinicius. I thought there were moments that Fulham looked good. But it's another game where I am worried about what it actually looks like in the same way that I was about the Everton game earlier in the season. Now, a lot of people say that doesn't matter. And those people have a point in that Fulham are 10th after five games. We have seven points on the board and we're six clear of the relegation zone already. That's great. All of that is great stuff. I am concerned more about our inability to create chances than our inability to score them right now. Because I think that there will come a time this season where Jimenez and Carlos Vinicius and a couple of other players in this team will pick up goals because of the way that we create. But at the moment, I don't see that. And it feels like there's a lot of players off, off the pace. Now, Jimenez was... OK, I thought Um he wasn't as bad as I think maybe some people made him out to be. But equally, he is feels like he's feeding on scraps. And there's a reason that he keeps trying outlandish things like overhead kicks and rabonas. And we talked about it being a, a mark of confidence. I also think it's because he's feeling like there's not much else falling his way to take normal kind of opportunities on. And when you kind of have that, and I think that the William thing is really important to us because without Robinson bombing down the outside of him, he doesn't have that quite the same kind of operation around him in order to be able to cut inside and take players on. Castagna did fine, but he's not the same kind of player. And I think he's going to thrive more on the right-hand side of what Fulham are doing rather than the left-hand side where he's having to cut inside onto his stronger foot as well. And I thought that left us a little bit lacking in terms of actually creation from that left-hand side of the box. So when you put all that into to context, good three points, delighted for Vinicius that he's off the mark, really concerned about our lack of chances. And as you say, on another day, if, you know, God knows how Amari Bell didn't score when he was found unmarked at the back post and just decided to just tap it to Burnt Leno. Brown was unlucky with the header that hit the bar. There was a couple of really important blocks late on as well. I worry that, you know, yes, there are points on the board, but over the course of a season, those kind of performances won't lead to points. And Fulham need to address that pretty quickly as far as I'm concerned.
0: Yeah, Peter, the overachieving tag is back again. And in every game this season... Um, Uh, we have lost the XG battle Um, expected goals. If anyone uh, is unsure what XG is, feel like sometimes it's important to uh, clarify. It's the amount of goals that would be expected to be scored by a team. If statistical uh, perfection was achieved, um, I still obviously don't read too much into that tag and there's good analysis out there, particularly by John McKenzie of TIFO, which has kind of outlined reasons why Fulham are overachievers. And a lot of it comes down to Bert Leno's quality in goal. Um, but look, it's, it is concerning that we're not going into games like Luton Town and at least winning the XG battle. And there is always just that fear at the back of your mind. How long can this continue you can't surely go every game losing that that statistic and uh, and coming out on top
2: I think there are a couple of things I think it's still a little early to get too carried away with it obviously in these early games Fulham's Fulham have got have I was gonna say get got away with the results they haven't you know it's down to No, so there's an element of quality but they're not creating as many chances as you'd expect and they've conceded a lot but I think there's also a couple of other you know there are other factors here you know we've got uh, the tough starts of the season, you know, second or third toughest starts of any team with travelling to City and Arsenal, which skews it a bit. You had a pre season which was disrupted by injury. You know, Marco Silva's kind of made a big play about that, that about, you know, he's 40 to 50% or, you know, about half the, the, the starting 11 of, or regular starters from last year have had knocks over the course of that uh, summer break. Obviously, they went to the US as well. Um, so it's not been the ideal start. And of course, there's been some late arrivals too so and you've got with the Luton game it's off the back of an international break you have Raul Jimenez arriving on Thursday morning after playing with Mexico um, a couple more injuries a couple more new faces as well so I, there's, there's an element of there's some mitigation as to why it's probably skewed bad in these early stages if we're to say that even though they've got seven points but I do agree with Jack I think there are some concerns I I, I think you know, particularly on that left-hand side, which is such an important creative uh, hub for Fulham last season. Um, with William, who I don't think has been at his sharpest yet. I don't think he's there. Um, he obviously, his preseason was disrupted because he didn't sign straight away, did he? And you've got Andres Pereira, who, of course, is still coming back from quite a serious ankle injury. Um, so it's not going to be necessarily a straightforward return. I think he's been fine. Um, it's, it's just not they've not reached the levels of last year. So I think when you throw that in, it, it kind of is a bit more reassuring. But as Jack says, if that's, if, if this sort of continues, you know, you're going to need to create chances. Um, everyone will talk about whether Ralph Jimenez will score. Obviously it was great that Carlos uh, Vinicius did, but feeding on very, feeding off very, very little. So um, that makes a, a, a big difference. So it will be interesting to see, particularly in these coming games, which are for more favorable, more competitive, potentially, um, whether we can see Fulham get back to those, those levels.
0: And, uh, Peter, we thought that you should mention your, uh, Fulham squad audit that you did on the athletic, where you went through, uh, each different position. Uh, there's a nice uh, chart on there, which kind of perfectly outlines the strength and depth in various positions. um, more options in centre midfield than I, uh, than I remembered. Um, but yeah. Uh, what did you kind of make of the Fulham squad audit? Um, I, I was kind of expecting at the bottom there to be like a, a grading. Um, there, there wasn't, but it was, it was definitely a mixed bag. I thought from you, I was, I was waiting for like the B plus just to like, <laughs> uh, find, maybe you can give that in the, uh, on the podcast as a little uh, extra nugget.
2: Yeah, I think B plus is fine. I I, I I think it's a, it's a good squad. I think the, I think with the, the graphic in particular it's quite difficult because you've got quite a few players in there who are very versatile um, and that's for me one of the big take-homes of what Fulham have sort of gone for with the summer. You know, if, if there are going to be holes then there are players who can can cover them in different positions. We talked about Castagna. Alex Wobi I think is probably the most important signing of the summer just because of one obviously is the most expensive, but also he can play in those eight positions. It looks like you know, at least if Saturdays to go by, that the eight midfielder roles is one that he'll occupy. But he can play off the left, can play off the right. Um, that will make a, a big difference. Um, obviously, it's an old squad. So you've got quite a few players who are getting older. I think also, I think it's like twenty-one of the twenty-nine players on that graphic have uh, club options for a further year. So I think it left four players um, who have sort of impending deadlines. So Tosin, William, Tim Ream, Bobby Decadova-Reed, I think is the other one. Um, So those are the sort of the, the areas that will will need to be um, addressed more imminently. Um, I think like when you go through the squad, obviously there's three keepers, which is great now, three senior keepers. Obviously there's also George, George Wickens, Alex Borto. Um, The academy seems to be prolific when it comes to keepers. Um, Defence has a lot of depth, almost too much at left back now <laughs> 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 with Fodi Balotori in there. But Balotori's profile is quite distinct. So he will be able to provide that sort of attacking outlet that maybe, as, as Jack was saying, could have been quite effective against Luton in a way that Castagna is a bit more more reserved in that sense. Um, Castagna, of course, is versatile, but with Kenny Tete, he's got a year left with an option. Does he sign a new deal? If he doesn't, then Castagna there is there to, to, to fill in. And then... Um, Midfield is probably the, the for me anyway, is, is the question mark. Obviously up front is the main talking point. The fact that a major, you know, marquee name wasn't signed. I don't get the impression that it wasn't something that was off the table. Like it was not going to happen. It was more a case of they didn't find the right fit um, that they wanted to sign. That would be a, an improvement, but um, it's midfield is for me is more of a concern and yeah there's there is a little bit of depth there I, but I think you know, obviously Tom Cairn he's come back from fitness and hopefully he can maintain his fitness but he's getting getting older now there's Ty Francois one the last year of his contract with an option I think um very young not experienced at Premier League level uh and then there's the, the hole behind Jaa which you know is I think probably the most pressing thing depending on how Fulham score goals and whether they create goals and if they can replace everything that Mitrovic brings. I know Jack talked about that really well about his aura, because I think that's actually really key. It's not just his goals, it's everything else. Um, It's about having a replacement, not just a replacement for Polina. If he goes in January and you can't rule that out, I know he signed a new contract, which is great news, particularly regarding his commitment. And we saw that against Luton; he was outstanding. Um, but you know, my impression is if someone comes in with a, a similar fee to what Bayern offered, probably a little, maybe a little bit more, then you know, no one's going to begrudge him that big, big move. So Fulham have to be ready for that, and I think that's that's for me the 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 main thing because we know how important he is, uh, Jao Polina, to the team. Jack,
0: I'd like to just uh, have my moment, if if that's okay, uh, please speaking of Jao Polina. Uh, So this is what's happened on last week's pod, if you missed it, when we uh, started talking about Zhao. And uh, Dean, the positive news is that Zhao Polinia has changed his profile picture on Instagram back to him in a Fulham shirt. So look, if that isn't the biggest news of the international break, I don't know what is. He loves the club and he's signing an extension. I take that to mean.
2: (laughs) Oh, I wish. I wish.
1: (laughs) The day before, I called it.
2: ITK. Mystic,
1: Mystic, Sammy strikes again. Honestly,
0: we are winning the Carab. Well, no, we're getting to the Carabao Cup final. It's on. <laughs> <laughs>
1: do you have the lottery numbers? I could really do with them.
0: <laughs> Honestly, number
1: twenty-six. Number twenty-six. Fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, that's the only need. That's the only number we need. Yes. Well done. Very good. Um, it did. I don't think anybody saw that coming, aside from you. Uh, so, <laughs> so congratulations. Absolutely nailed it. Yeah, I'm, I, I mean, I'm with Peter on it. I think that it's obviously great news. I'd imagine that it makes him the club's highest earner in the absence of Alexander Mitrovic. And whilst Marco Silva has made comments saying he was the club, are laughing at reports that there is a, a release clause. I imagine that there are maybe some hands shaken behind the scenes in, in that regard. Um, but I do think it's, it's a good thing. And I think that it might well, it might well mean that he stays until next summer. That, that would be my take on it. I think that there's obviously a chance to buy and come back in in January, but I wonder if that just sees it out till next summer. And if that's the case, I think it's very good news from a perspective, obviously.
0: Yeah, Pete, it was hard to work this out at the time because I was looking at my phone like, yes, but surely that doesn't mean he suddenly had a change of heart in a week that now he loves the club and he's going to stay here until his retirement, despite my uh, claims on the uh, uh, podcast about his shirt uh, change on Instagram. So my take on it, but I'm interested to hear yours, is that it's making him probably the highest paid player, or at least one of the highest paid players in the squad now, which is kind of probably more justifiable of his position and his importance to the team. And it's probably a bit of a statement of intent. Uh, Yeah, I just can't work out how much it protects Fulham, because surely now the fee that Fulham could ask for, should a buy-in, should a city or whoever come calling, can be higher. So that's not going to help Zhao get this kind of dream move that he obviously wants because he kind of, saw, we saw his intentions on deadline day.
2: Yes and no. I I mean, the contract's extra year, so it's not it's not a, a massive, massive leap. I think you're right. I think it's a reward. And Marco Silva spoke about how, you know, this was in the offing before Bayern showed their hand. Um, obviously, Bayern complicated matters, um, but I, I don't think anyone can begrudge Paulinho getting that as as a reward. And um, as I say, it's you know I, I put it to to Silver in the press conference uh, before the Luton game. You know, is this is this kind of like Moises Caicedo? You know, at Brighton who had all that drama, didn't he, on deadline day and. Um, Arsenal and really did throw his toys out the pram in a, in a very extreme way but also signed a contract I think in March and then in the summer was sold so for a huge fee actually um, I, I, I kind of I see similarities in that I think Silver wasn't going to talk about break clauses or re- anything further any, or reveal any detail on that front um, but I'm you know as, as I said before I, I, I imagine that considering Fulham did agree a fee uh, with Bayern you know, if a, if a similar fee is reached, I don't know whether that may be different for other clubs or, or, or how it may work. I mean, it depends on the market, doesn't it? Things can change. Uh, you know, Dubai and still want that position. They still need to, to fill it. Um, it. There are loads of different variables when it comes to who might come in. But I think the, the fundamental is it's almost like once you agree, agree a fee, there's kind of a fee there. Um, but I think you're right. The contract changes it in terms of how you can negotiate and say, "Look, this is circumstances have changed now. We want X for this." Um, but yeah, I, I, it's a good thing, undoubtedly. Like uh, I think the, the concern is always when you have a a player going through what he did, and you know, Marcus Silva said it was the toughest day of his life, and you think, "Well, how's he going to respond to that?" I don't think anyone doubted Polini's character, considering the way he plays the game. Um, but it's nice to have this as a quite clear illustration of its, it's it's commitment. You know, he's signed on the dotted line to play for Fulham. You know, um, and then the performance to back it up as well. So I don't know how much it will change in terms of a club. You know, being put off. might the impression I've had since it's happened is that it doesn't change that much in terms of interest, or it doesn't end it by any stretch of the imagination. But at least in the near term for Fulham. There's the insurance there that they've got a, a key player who's committed and feels rewarded for what he brings to the team.
0: Yeah, I guess, Jack, there's an element from Shao Bellini's point of view is this contract probably doesn't change too much as and when he can or will leave. I feel like January is less likely now, but I, I think that's one that's kind of by the by. But I guess from Shao's point of view, if let's say no other big club ever comes in for him ever again, he now has a contract where he'll be on surely a six figure salary if not very bloody close to for five more years taking him well into his 30s so that's like an insurance for him he's like well look if a big club never comes in for me again i've got best part of six figures for five years plus another year if i'm not mistaken as well on the on the option
1: so I think it's a club i think it's a club option club but yeah.
0: option but still um so i guess it's just kind of ultimate security for for xiao
1: Yes, a security blanket at the, at the wages that he earned by his performances last year and the same performances that earned him that appreciation from pretty much across the board. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm with Peter. I think it's, it's a perfectly reasonable thing to do in terms of giving him the satisfaction that he's like, okay, I played really well and I earned what I want. We spoke about this. Mitrovic signed a new contract every summer <laughs> that he was at Fulham until he left. Like there was an element of that. They go, okay, you, you know, we, we either have, you're either getting a, something to, to keep you intrigued or in the case of the one that he signed after his championship season, a contract that reflected the importance he had to this team. I think we're seeing exactly the same for Poligno and I don't think there's there's anything wrong
2: with that. I'd also quickly add that it does kind of send a message as well, because if you have the image of everyone leaving, that's not great when you're trying to build a team. But if you have a situation where you've got Harrison Reed committing, you've got Gia committed, uh, Signing and uh, almost as an illustration of reward, you know that's that's mm. that's helpful. It just in terms of the general picture with Fulham going forward,
1: incentivization,
2: right? Yeah.
0: And we should discuss Harrison Reed because I feel like uh, normally Harrison Reed signing a contract would have been mega news, but it got slightly buried by the fact that Zhao signed at the same time. And Peter, obviously, this is uh, a, a contract for Harrison under slightly different circumstances, but an interesting time for Harrison because once again. He's got someone gunning for his position. He kind of has mostly seen off Lukic. He's certainly kept his place above him. Now he's kind of got Alex Awobi, who will be looking for that same spot, came on for him uh, on Saturday against Luton. But just reward for Harrison, because he's been excellent for us ever since he signed for us on loan that season But we got promoted under Parker.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, he's made more than 150 appearances. I think he's... I mean he's he's always a six, seven out of ten, isn't he? I mean that's that's the hallmark of a player you want in your teams. Good character to have in the group. I think he he talked about we spoke to him after the uh the Luton game and you know, he talked about how his this was something that he wanted for a while and he made clear that, you know, he sees his future with Fulham and there was interest of course from from Everton and, and Wolves towards the end of the window. Um but he sees his, his future at the club, and I think that's 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 a great place to be. And I think you know the way he adapts to to new challenges, the way he's sort of taken on um, what Marco Silver has asked of him. Which I think initially when we first saw it, remember we think, how's he how's he going to cope with this? How how's he going to deal with this? You know, so used to him being a six, a really t- very much a number six, not getting close to the opposition penalty area. You know, breaking out in sweats when he gets near it. <laughs> I mean, he scored a goal now, scored more than one. Um, you know, and I, I, as much as people will say, well, there, there's limits in, in terms of what he can do in the final third, it's the way he sort of adapts himself, the way he commits himself, it's always ever-present. I think he's a, a, t- a terrific player for Fulham and um the fact that they tied him down is, 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 is really, really important. Um And if you're right, he does fly under the radar and I think it's probably de- <laughs> the fact that it's announced with You probably um depicts that. But yeah, uh, he will have competition. He's got Sasa Lukic in there as well, Alex Wobie, yeah, as well, and um, but having him in, in the squad is, is important particularly when the field is, is, a, is a position which needs, needs numbers anyway
1: yeah 100% I, I saw a tweet and I can't remember for the life of me who it was by so I apologise but it was like a, a quote tweet of the Fulham announcement of both of them saying Fulham's most important player signs a new contract and also Joao Polina stays and yeah. it was it was something that I thought was, was a nice touch because so much of the chat was about was about Polina, that, that Reed went a little bit below the radar and he never should. He's part of this Fulham leadership group. I wonder if actually standing on this, that if Tom Kearney and Tim Ream were to leave this side next summer or the summer after or whenever that might be, the Harrison Reed would be the natural person to inherit the armband at the club. He is very much part of the the way that the entire system operates, his adaptability, as we say, I, I know I've always banged on this drum that I saw him more as a destructive eight than a number six. That he's not as comfortable in possession at the base of midfield there as as perhaps someone like Polina is. But his ability to to shift positions, to make mix things up, and that he just always gives everything. And, and I know that's a really like cliche thing to say, but there are so many players who, when things aren't going their way on the ball. You see heads go down. Harrison Reed is the cool kind of antithesis of that player. You know, whatever happens, Harrison will be making inroads in in one way or another, defensively or offensively, with ball or without it. He's a player that never ever stops that work rate, and it's so crucial to being able to survive in this division and being able to to hold on to things. He's such a crucial player to this side, and I was absolutely delighted for him because. It was no more than than he deserves. He's a, a sensational footballer, and I'm I'm really really pleased yeah. every time he plays for Fulham. I'm, I'm I'm really pleased to see him.
0: It's an interesting one about that kind of captaincy question. And my first thought would have been Burnt No.
1: Yeah. No. I I think I think Harrison. I know he's part of that leadership group. You know, he, he's seen as one of the players that we've seen him with the armband before. It's not. This isn't, I don't think that out, outlandish. Is a suggestion.
0: No, 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 no. I think I would say, I'd say, yeah, if, if you lost Ream and Kearney, I would say I'd have said a toss up between, I guess the only other thing with Burn would be starting more guaranteed. But...
1: Yeah. Bobby Reed.
0: It should be Bobby Reed. It won't be, but it should be. Bobby <laughs> it
1: should Reed, be right. Harrison Reed. But if it's not, it should be Bobby.
0: Yeah, no, uh, Any anything should go to Bobby Reed. Bobby Reed could do every position at the club. He can be the receptionist. He can play on the right. He can play on the left. He can, uh, uh, yeah, he can do everything. Right, we're going to take a break there. Afterwards, we'll look ahead to Palace. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast It is Sammy James here with Jack Collins and Peter Rutzler on the Thursday Club. Thank you to everyone who continues to support Fulhamish in the Fulhamish community. If you'd like to help fund what we do, our pods, articles, videos, etc., find the link in our description or you can find it all on the Fulhamish website. And thank you to everyone who already does. You are legends. Right, let's look ahead to Palace then on Saturday, a three o'clock kickoff. And Jack, this is one of now three grounds in the Prem that I am yet to tick off. One is Kenilworth road. Cause I've never been to Kenilworth road. It's Selhurst park and the Tottenham Hotspur stadium. So I am delighted to get this one ticked off. I have actually been once, but it was for a palace crystal palace beer festival, which I don't think quite counts as uh, ticking off one of the 92. Um, so I'm there for a proper match on uh, Saturday. So uh, I know you've been a couple of times. Uh, how can you advise me how best to spend my day at Selhurst park?
1: Don't expect much of a view. Would be my uh, my immediate take from Sellers Park. It's a great little ground, man. I love it. It's it's there are parts of it that are pretty reminiscent, I think, of, of the Cottage, and I think it's probably the closest stadium in the Premier League to to kind of what the Cottage offers. Um, I love it down there. It, it it's great fun. Um, I like Palace fans. They tend to be pretty sound. Roy Hodgson is their manager. He's obviously well sound, um, and there's some really good little boozers here and there. Uh, my favourite is about twenty minutes away. It's called the Bird in Hand. It's a real old school boozer. I remember going there after Palace away on my birthday one year uh, to watch the the late games, and it's a real sort of like wow. You get sold trousers inside. It's all sorts of class. Um, it's up at up at Forest Hill, but it's um it's a very good boozer. I enjoyed myself very much in there. So yeah, I'm a, a big fan of, of of Palace away as a as a game. And I think that this should be really interesting on the pitch as well, because two sides that I don't think have firmly got going yet. Um and yet are both pretty comfortably above water. Um we know that Palace have had some serious injuries. Um obviously Mateus Franca, who was their big money signing for the summer, hasn't featured yet. He came across from Brazil, hasn't hasn't really been able to he's he's not been in training yet, never mind in a match day squad. And Michael is out. So it means that Jordan Ayu's on one side and Jeffrey Schlupps on the other, which is a bit of a, a bizarre thing when you knew they'd signed, you know, such talent and such quality in those wide areas. It's the old war horses still doing the business for them on either wing. But they've been pretty solid without being spectacular, I think Palace. And um, obviously Savoy missed the last game with with illness, but he's gonna be back in the dugout for this one. They dug out a win against Wolves, um, which was probably a little bit less comfortable than they would have liked against the Wolves side struggling. They did well against Arsenal and ended up losing 1-0, which is not dissimilar to our own experience. I think obviously we got the point, but felt like a similar kind of game. Um, But they went to Brentford and were very, very unlucky not to take all three points. So they haven't quite hit the, you know, the form maybe that they would have been looking for. But equally, they're grinding it out. We're next to each other in the table. I think it should be a close encounter.
0: Yeah, Peter, I saw earlier Gary Lineker tweet some stats about who's last on match of the day last season. And uh, Fulham and Palace were both rock bottom of the list for the amount of times we were last on match of the day. Our average performance or average placements was was the joint lowest. Palace was slightly lower than Fulham, uh, it should be said. So I feel like... We all deserve justice for this to be a four-rule draw and to get ourselves to the top of, uh, of match of the day. Or maybe no a 5-4 win, win for Fulham, maybe. That would be the ultimate.
2: <laughs> yeah, that'd be something, wouldn't it? God. That um, doesn't surprise me, actually. I mean, if you think about how Fulham's results sort of played out last year, it was victories and over those sides around and below, and then not, no not many. Apart from Chelsea, really, the, the marquee results. Actually Chelsea were below for them, weren't they? Yeah, it wasn't
1: so. really a scalp. It wasn't really a scalp in the end. There wasn't much trepidation about either R or Palace's seasons. And I think this was the point that, that Lineker was trying to make, right? Because yeah. like the clubs that are at bottom of this list are the ones mid-table, kind of safe by February, not really playing for all that much. And that that feeds into it because there's far less drama around where they where they land.
2: <laughs> it's fair enough. I I think actually it's worth a degree of like Credit should be given to the job Marco Silva's doing and the job that Fulham have done because, I mean, we're looking at, I'm looking particularly at Burnley, actually. I know Burnley have gone in a different direction to Fulham this year, but you can see how um, the promoter clubs are struggling and Luton and Sheffield United have not really invested, have they? So it's a different kind of story, but with... Burnley kind of have and they also did a similar job in the Championship and there's been a lot of praise for what Burnley did last year and I don't think it was particularly different to what Fulham did to be honest. Um, And you can see the the sort of teething problems. They've gone younger with their recruitment than than Fulham have but to be where they are you know, to have done what the the job they did last season to actually be that you know, overlooked team on match of the day Mm. like that's probably a badge of (laughs) honour considering recent seasons. So,
0: Unless, unless it was Fulham like fighting for the Champions League or something, I think it is. Yeah, it's exactly. And you know what? I'll take being on last match of the day all day this or every game this season if it means Fulham finishing tenth and being anonymous in the league. It's uh, it's it's a, it's a glorious place uh, to be. Um, as for Palace, uh, Peter, um, it's. An interest. I always think Palace basically just have the exact same play. Joel Ward, like, he must be in his 50s. Like, he's still playing a right back for Palace. Um, they obviously have some very dangerous players. The one to watch, of course, Eberichi, as I say, in that number 10 role, who is just uh, brilliant. And Decore is such a rock for them in midfield. And he was linked with a lot of big moves as well this summer. Palace held on to him. And we know all about, of course, our good friend Mr. Anderson at centre back, who uh, is probably one of the. Um, best centre-backs outside the kind of big six or seven.
2: Yeah, he's been quietly and consistently performing for for Palace. And obviously that's no surprise considering the season he had during the, the, the Scott Parker Premier League season. Um, but you're right. I think I think what Eze's done is, is sort of seized the mantle left by <laughs> Wilfred Zaha. You know, there was a, a vacancy there. And I think maybe there's an element of, of Fulham need someone to do that Right now, as well, in, in the post-Mitrovic era, when you have a player who's so dominant, and you can replace them with quality, which which Palace have done, um, it's about making sure someone steps in and, and takes over. I think Eze has done that. You no, know, he's, he's he, they've, they've needed someone to do that, and he's sort of become their their, their, their fulcrum. So. Um, we know as Jack was saying, the the threat they were pose and the challenge there will be a well organised Roy Hodgson team. Good news that he's back in good health, um, it seems. So um should be should be back for the for the game of the weekend after missing the, the Villa game last weekend. So um I it's, it's it's an important game. I think that the run of fixtures Fulham have got coming up is you know, it's 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 stepping beyond that first five, We've sort of drawn a line under the first five, haven't we? Everything from the noise, the transfers to uh Palina, to injuries and whatever, the tough games, VAR. It's about trying to, to kick on again now and to, to do that from a good base. Um, this is a, a good place to start.
0: Yeah. Another player I didn't give much credit to there, Jack, odson Yeah, who has uh, scored nearly as many goals as he did in the entire of last season. Uh, in the Premier. He got five Premier League goals in 35 appearances last season and he's got four in five this season. Finally starting to see some of the form that, uh, that took him to Palace in the first place.
1: Yeah, five and six in all comps, I think, because he scored in the cup as well. So yes. he's he's having a really good season. Um, obviously, he was brilliant at Celtic in a very short spell uh, at the club and and earned that move to Palace. And it just sort of never seemed to click. And then suddenly it just seems to have landed and he's, he's finally in a side that, you know, has some creativity behind him. And I think that probably didn't help in those first couple of years and... It just feels like finally we're seeing that, that player that we saw at Celtic Park in the Premier League. And yeah, he's playing really well. And I was about to say the, the, two, the difference between the two sides, I think, right now, because you can't really split them in terms of, of what the table looks like, is that they have a striker in form and, and scoring goals. And we don't. And uh, that, that, that's kind of it. We, we look at the kind of the differences in, in goal difference, minus one to minus five. Now obviously, part of that is Fulham conceding a lot to, to Manchester City. But I think we fa- you factor in that he's scored two-thirds of Palace's goals so far, whereas Fulham's have come in a sort of variety of strange manners. That's, the, that's probably the difference. And, and as I say, you know, this is a, probably going to be a good game between two well-matched sides. I worry that that could be the difference when it comes to actually what this result looks like.
0: Yeah, no, actually think about it. No one's scored two goals for Fulham, have they? In fact, we've had mm. all different goal scorers, but Deca dover Pereira, Pellinia. Which we know
1: Silver likes, by the way. You know, Silver wants the goals to be shared around, mm. but equally there probably should be a, some sort of fulcrum at some point, you'd hope.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, Tim Ream, one of the five, of course, with his absolute wonder goal at Manchester City,
1: goal-scoring sensation Tim Ream.
0: Yeah, uh, Jack, how would you line up for this one? I feel like there's a couple of areas. Obviously, we don't exactly know uh, injuries right now. Whether maybe someone like Robinson would come back in for Castagna, which would be an obvious uh, change if if he's available. But I think for me, the two players that are interesting here are Alex Iwobi and
1: Carlos Vinicius.
0: They're the two kind of potentially puzzle pieces that you could move in here who both impressed against Luton
1: yeah I mean I, I don't know where Robinson is either but equally I, I would consider playing Balotore if Robinson isn't fit because I think that just having that thrust down the left-hand side is so crucial to the way that Fulham operate I don't think Silver will do that for what it's worth I think maybe if this game was at home he might think about it but I think that he's obviously just coming back to fitness only had a couple of weeks with the squad Um he might just be one that, that hangs on, but it would be something that I would seriously think about. Um, and as much as I've talked about Alex Wobey and I think he is best through the as of 10, I'd really be considering playing him instead of Willian here, because I haven't seen much from the Brazilian yet to, that's got me particularly excited. I'd probably play a Wobi, and I think I'd play Carlos Vinicius
2: through the middle as well.
0: Peter, what would you, what would your
2: thoughts be? Yeah, no, I agree about Wobi. I I think that might be the the right call at the moment. Um for for, for the aforementioned reasons about Williams' form so far. I think uh, the striker one is interesting. I, I think Silver will will stick with him in this. That's would be my guess. And I think he probably should. And the reason I say that, look, I know Vinicius is if it's four and six now in his appearances. Um mm-hmm. I just think <laughs> just, just try and hold out for that break, him and then play Carlos Vinicius against Norwich in the Carabao Cup if he does well again then the decision changes uh, the game with Luton for me and I, I know Vinicius probably got a bit of criticism he didn't have much to to work with in terms of creativity and we've talked about that but the game that Vinicius played in was very different to the one that Raul Jimenez played in um, Vinicius came on and scored he got the one mistake from, from Kaminsky took it brilliantly. Great poacher's instinct, great for him to have that moment as well. You know, it's been an, not exactly the most settled summer. You know, the, the reports from of leaving for Turkey, so t- to make that impact was really important. We've seen how big a character he is in the dressing room, too. But then you had a game where Luton, I mean, to a degree, <laughs> not as much as most, but went to try and so you can equalise it. There was more space. There was more space to work mm-hmm. in. There was more space for a Wobi who looked really good as well. I, I don't think that uh, if, if you start either, it would may look very different um, because I just think it was a different. It was a different game. Um, so for me, with that in mind, considering Jimenez also, I think he was only limited to sixty minutes, regardless after international duty. He did score on an international duty. Scored three, didn't he? I think. Yeah. yeah uh, he got three. Yeah. So I think stick with him for Palace, and then if there's a call to make, then Norwich is quite a good sort of testing ground for that.
0: All right. Well, the game uh, is at three o'clock on Saturday. Hopefully, Fulham can come out on top again. We'll take another break there. Afterwards, we'll get into some of your questions. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here with Jack Collins and Peter Rutzler. Let's just do uh, a few of your questions before we finish the pod today. Uh, This first one is more of a... uh, you know, a village hall announcement, I'd say from Rachel Stevens Hall says, hi guys. Uh, John and I, John is Rachel's husband have been custodians of a rather large fan funded Fulham for the cup flag for more years than we care to remember. And now we're moving and we have to go to football with kids in tow. We've really decided it needs a new home with someone who is actually able to get to matches. Um, I've attached a photo of it, which gives you an idea of the size and scale. Uh, it's a great flag has lots of, life left in it and would probably make a good tifo starter kit uh would you know anyone that would be interested in it it's free to go to a good home it is a massive flag this so if anyone if anyone would like the fulham for the cup flag um get in touch and i'll put you in touch with um rachel um but yeah it's an awesome flag so uh yeah thank you rachel and uh consider it message shared uh next one from Nathan Vince, whose uh, title of the email is Possession for Possession's Sake. He says, Hi, Fulhamish. Disclaimer before I asked this, as Silver is an infinitely better manager than Parker. But at points yesterday, it felt like it was... As the subject says, possession for possession's sake. Both wingers afraid to take on their opposite number and backward passes from Reed every single time close to the edge of the box. Front three look very disconnected. Is Vinny the solution? And that's thanks from Nathan. Um, Jack, there were quite a few moments on Saturday that were a bit. And there was also a bit of discourse. Actually, it was partially linked from what something that Fulhamish tweeted where we tweeted out that it was actually Fulham's record ever amount of possession in a Premier League game I would like to state for the record we never said that it was a good or bad thing we just stated the bloody fact Um, but quite a few Luton fans took that and was like oh didn't bloody do anything with it I was like never said we did but anyway um it was at moments on Saturday a little bit Parker-esque and put part of that down to the opposition but just felt like we didn't always know exactly what we wanted to do with it and a few moments where you're like no come on take the ball on pass it quick get forward and it would just go back to Ream and Diop who would pass it between each other for about five minutes so so what was your take on it
1: yeah it was it was a little bit stagnant wasn't it I think that you'd find it hard pressed to to argue that and Actually, in those situations, sometimes you just need to shift the shape around a little bit. And Silver did that, obviously, with the introduction of Alex Awobi for Harrison Reid. It meant that it, instead of that sort of standard four, two, three, one that Fulham tend to utilize, it became a bit more two attacking eights or a two, you know, tens in front of a defensive midfielder in Polina. Now that often, often opens you up for the counter, which is something that Luton tried to exploit. But I think that there's no coincidence that the goal came soon after that with with more players moving into the box. And and I think that Fulham started to open up a few more opportunities after that. Obviously, the William chance, the Awobi chance, those things came about because Fulham were able to shift the shape and therefore start to create those triangles and those those possession phases a little bit higher up the pitch. So I'm not 100% sure if Vinicius is the answer. I think he gives you a little bit more of that kind of bustle in behind and that can stretch teams. I think it's also a little bit on Pareda in these kind of games to take the game a bit more by the scruff of the neck and start to bring the team up the pitch, start to try and hold possession in those areas and, and make things happen. But I do think that a lot of this comes down to the fact that this front three and, you know, as is said by Nathan in the email, they just feel a little bit not like they're on the same wavelength, right? Yeah. And part of it is that William, I think, just feels really off the boil. Right now, Um, obviously talked about it earlier, but I I really do feel that we're not seeing the same player that we saw last year. And part of it is that obviously Wilson and Jimenez haven't created that connection quite yet that we saw in in when Mitrovic was leading the line. Now, we talked about this last year and that there was a little bit of a difference in, in connection when Vinicius came on. So I don't know if he's necessarily the answer. I think it can, you know, you continue to develop that through the course of a season, but right now, William feels like the weakest link in that front line for me. And, and that's why I would change him around this weekend.
2: I think when we've seen similar games, I'm thinking back to the, the championship where there were a lot more games like this, where Fulham were faced with a back five. And there were times where we discussed, you know, do Fulham need to be more effective at breaking down these blocks? On John the Surrey and he just did it by himself. <laughs> there we go. Um, I, I think there are a couple of things. I mean, we talked about, you know, that there's some creative players, not perhaps at their, their best level, but also Fulham... Fulham were always very rounded when they were playing with so, so much of the ball in the, not only do you have great passes and creative players but there would always be someone who could win a one-on-one and I just, I just don't think that there was not the same not the same number of take-ons and not the same number of successful take-ons in that game just someone to take someone out of the game isolate win a winger one-on-one and Naskin's Cabano yeah. pass someone and suddenly you've you've changed direction and that comes back down to as Jack was saying William's form. I think also the balance on that left side with Castaigne, who doesn't drive as far forward naturally as as Robinson. I still think it was fine, but it's a it's a different feel, as Jack outlined earlier in the pod. Um I actually think Fulham missed Dama Triore. Like I think that's the kind of player you want—just someone just to change the the balance a little bit. Um, maybe not to start the game, but maybe certainly to change the game when if it's not working, if you're not finding a way through a block like that have someone with the speed or or the technical quality to beat someone create an overload just by their one-on-one ability and and that can unsettle a defense so Fulham didn't really have that and that was a combination of as Jack said players not really at their best but also not quite the right players for that and I don't think there'll be many games quite like that this season Yeah.
0: yeah um yeah, it was a bit of a shame not having a Dharma. It would have been perfect for him, a bit of chaos. And that was it was just that little bit of chaos that even a Wobi brought, I think, that was what opened up the game in those kind of 5, 10 minutes where Fulham created that goal. So, yeah, Ben Mogridge says, we've kind of addressed this, but I'll read out the email and if you've got anything to say on it. Uh, question for the pod. Surely now the Raul Jimenez experiment has to end. Every time he got the ball in the first half against Luton, he tried a fancy flick, which didn't work. And when Big Carlos came on, he made such a difference with his work rate. Thoughts? Um, Big Carlos. <laughs>
1: yeah, I, I mean, look, we, we've talked yeah. about it. I I don't think the Jimenez experiment is over by any stretch of the imagination. So I wouldn't pin your hopes on that. Um, as Peter says, I, I, I would like Vinicius to start against Palace because I think that that little bit of hustle and bustle might be useful at Salers Park, but I don't think he will. I think it will be Jimenez. And I think the Marco Silva... You know, we've seen him be headstrong with things like this before. And it's not always, it's not always, that's not always used as a criticism. And he often will stick to his guns and, and, you know, he knows what's best for this team. And that needs to be, you know, giving the credence it deserves. But equally, you know, sometimes he does just keep a player in because he's like, no, I, I know that they're good. And I know that this will come good. And sometimes it takes a little bit longer to change his mind. We saw Carlos Vinicius not being utilized early in the season because it looked like they'd had a falling out behind the scenes. Now that clearly has ended if there was a feud to begin with, because we've seen Vinicius now in in the last couple of appearances, but I think he will stick with Jimenez and he knows what he does bring off the ball. So I don't think it's the end of the road or any of those things. And whilst I agree with Ben on, I think it might be time to just kind of give Carlos those minutes and allow him to to bustle about a bit more. I can see why Silva is still persisting because having two strikers in form would be a real antidote to the loss of Mitrovic this summer.
0: Yeah. I find it hilarious as well that we're now looking at Carlos as the, uh, the workhorse here. I feel like that was my biggest Savior. criticism of him last season was that he didn't work hard, that he wasn't <laughs> pressing that much off the ball. And now suddenly he's the new man to, uh, to, to do that.
2: I think there's also a recency element. Like We were praising Jimenez to the hilt for his work rate, you know, at City, at Arsenal.
1: When I said bustle, I didn't really mean work rate. I think Jimenez works really hard. I mean kind of just that physicality and duels with defenders. Yeah, you know, yeah Just backing yeah, no, I into them, et cetera. Like it just unsettles them a little bit and it's just a little bit different. Jimenez tends to be a little bit classier on the ball, I think, than, than Carlos Vinicius.
2: Yeah, I, I disagree with the idea that the experiment should end because I just, he hasn't... Yeah. I, I think the, the bigger concern is creativity. Like I just, yeah, I think the, the clear-cut chances he's had name them
0: well the uh, the one that led to the goal against man city i'd say was probably the clearest actual chance that he had he did well for it that, that ream ended up scoring is probably and maybe the everton one where he hit the post that's about that's it. it that's
2: not a clear-cut chance though is it i mean he's made that
1: the one where he went through against brentford and tried to use his instead of using his left foot tried to rabona it that was probably the clearest cut chance yeah. he's had.
0: That was that was a bit annoying. I, I honestly, I thought Jimenez was like the best player on the pitch against City. I thought he was brilliant, and I think in those kind of tight games where we're going to need a striker to hold at the ball, I think the looting game is so weird. I think it's hard to like fully judge him on that. Yeah, it wasn't the best, and Carlos came on and did well. But like, I I think any talk at this stage of experiments being over and stuff is is overreactive, premature. Yeah, exactly. but the
2: pressure's on. I mean, that's that's a good thing. vinicius scoring is a good thing. Like it's and that's why team. I would keep in
0: Jimenez. This guy's on the bench, though. If you don't score, you know, if he's going he's to think if he doesn't score against Palace and it's another, like, not that great performance, mm. I think the time is going to be limited, especially with Vinny against Chelsea at home coming up.
1: He the scores. scourge of Stamford Bridge himself. Yeah. I mean, not uh, really, but you know,
0: final uh email from. Keith Glester. Now I feel like we should take this email with the pinch of salt that I think Keith is uh, referring to here. He says, hi guys. Well done. Uh, What a pool of talent you have at your disposal, Sammy. I fully agree. Uh, Question. Is it time for our absent owners to show Marco the door? Don't get me wrong. I'm like the rest of us. Marco walks on water, but if he's going to resist signing a new contract for much longer then maybe he should be shown that door. Question two, why now? He's given four reasons. A, Graham Potter is out there, unemployed. He won't last forever. B, maybe Graham Potter could influence Tony the Absent and introduce a few of Brighton's ideas about how to run a recruitment scheme. C, this season could be a season that is quite weak. There are four or so teams that... Uh, we are better than at least. So it could be time to bed in a new long-term manager. And D Potter has had his fingers burnt at a so-called bigger club, if you can call those lot a bigger club. So he's more likely to hang around long-term. This may be a good subject for discussion. And that's from Keith in Bournemouth. So we'll give it the pinch of salt that I know that kind of Keith's getting at here. I mean, I don't, think that they're unsensible things, Peter, obviously getting rid of Marco would be an absolutely bonkers decision, but I do have an element of thinking that if, I don't know, Spurs needed a new manager tomorrow, Marco went there. I mean, it's clear that Potter would probably be top of that list of Fulham uh, managers to try and get in.
2: Yeah, I, I, I get what Keith's getting at with that question. It's planning, Yeah, you know, like, which famously we're really good at. <laughs> It's he hasn't signed the contract. Um, There's a year to go. Fulham have got to be ready for that eventuality, you know. And and, and I can understand. I don't think changing now. I don't think changing mid season is ever helpful. Certainly not helpful when you have a a squad that's been built and the recruitment, you know, over the summer where Marco Silva's had a huge say. It's uh, that that wouldn't go down particularly well, and (laughs) may lead to a change in fortunes. Um, But you know. Looking ahead towards the end of the season, depending on how the campaign goes, of course, Fulham have to be thinking that way they have they have to think for for the longer term, and that's that's one of the things when you look at the squad because there it's an older squad um, there are longer term questions in in key positions, not least up front as we've talked about um, so you're going to need to have someone in mind for that now, you could easily make an argument that maybe that you know. Being ready to invest or support a new manager if they come in next summer, maybe support Silver if he decides to sign his new contract, could be a good way of preparing. So let's see. Let's see. I would have thought,
0: Jack, that Graham Potter, after his experience of working at a club with American owners that are slightly unconventional, might look at the offer of Fulham and think, hmm been down a similar road maybe i'll wait for something like the brentford job to become available when thomas frank eventually leaves
1: yeah i mean i don't think there's any guarantee that he would come to fulham he's obviously um been approached about various things and he said well, via sources in the media whether it's true or not that he wants a champions league job next now whether that changes if it's a premier league job as opposed to um a scottish premier league job then maybe that's slightly different but there there have been rumours and ruminations, should we say, in the media that Potter is holding out for a, a, at least a European club to come in for him. So there's there's that to consider. Um, I also think it's worth bearing in mind that I don't think that Graham Potter was a particularly big part of the recruitment model at Brighton. You know, he is, he is a coach, first and foremost. Now, he's been involved in some really intriguing clubs. Obviously, Ostertons in Sweden... And then Brighton as well. He's been involved in in, in Swansea, who are another one with a, a penchant for a particular type of manager. So there have been some really intriguing clubs that Potter's been at. But I think it would be a mistake to look at him and go, oh, that'll solve Fulham's recruitment problems. Because at Brighton, it is so much larger than the manager. And it's something that I've been banging on about all summer, right? That while Silver has to have a say in recruitment, He shouldn't have the say in all of the things because that allows you to bed in for the long term. It allows you to plan post managers. All of these things count and they are important facets to being able to make a club long term and sustainably run. And so I wouldn't be pinning, you know, whether Potter comes in when Silver leaves or not, I wouldn't be pinning any recruitment strategy hopes upon that because those two things I think are are very, very separate. And should be considered as thus. I completely get where, where Keith's coming from. But I think, again, as Peter said, it would be absolutely madness to, to even consider parting ways with Silver at this point, contract or not. But I do understand the concept of trying to plan long-term. If Fulham were picking another manager for post-Marco Silva life, Marcelo Gallardo is still out there. Yeah, another one of uh, Jack's
0: suggestions that will uh, fall on deaf ears forever and never be picked up. Uh, much like the uh, <laughs> two dozen players that uh, were very, very worthy, but Fulham never went for them. We just signed Alex Awobi instead.
1: Yeah. Yes, but yes, but Carson had a really, really good debut for Bologna yesterday. No <laughs> very sad. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, that'll do for the podcast today. Thank you so much uh, for listening. Um, just a really quick indulgent one for me. I'm doing a new podcast. It's called Men in Blazers Early Kickoff. Um, if you wouldn't mind subscribing and uh, if you enjoy it, uh, leaving a review, I'd be uh, extremely grateful. It's mostly intended for people in the States. But if you're in the UK, you can listen. Uh, it comes out a little bit late. It's like a daily football news briefing. Uh, it's fun. Happy to be part of it. And uh, yeah, do give it a subscribe. Right. Indulgence over. And that'll do for the podcast today. Peter Rutzer, live from your travels. Thank
2: you. No, thank you, thank you. And look, the internet was great. Pouring scorn over my connection before we came on air, and beautiful sound quality. I think no children screaming in the background. We haven't in, been interrupted once.
0: Yeah, no, it's uh, it's been great. <laughs> thank you for uh, <laughs> thank you for uh, yeah, mucking that- in. I'm glad that we filled your delay. We moved early because Peter was like, "I'm three hours delayed. Could you pod now?" And we were like, uh, "Yeah, me and Jack are unemployed, so we could probably make that work." <laughs>
1: Hey, speak for yourself uh, I write the <laughs> scripts for this podcast called uh, Men in Blazers Early Kickoff so it's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's great work so I, I've got to say you should probably subscribe because it's really well written stuff it is very well written Jack Collins thank you very much thank you very much Sammy it's always a pleasure all
0: right uh, Fulhamish will return on Sunday I'm hosting this one with all your post palace reaction have a lovely rest of your week have a good weekend and come on your whites
1: you whites you whites